So, Lord, we just draw these prayers together, knowing, Lord, that you are the great physician. physician. You are the healer. You love us so deeply. Now, Lord, open your word to us. By your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Unfortunately, that doesn't mean for those of you who find the sermon a challenge, that means you get off scot-free this morning. So that does mean we're going to have a sermon. So, uh, Annalee, hat off to you this morning. Fantastic. Um, thank you so much for doing that. I wonder this morning what you feel or you think about your biological family. Are you proud of them? Are you slightly embarrassed about them? Are you conscious of what you think about your biological family? Or are you really not sure what you'd say about your family? It's quite interesting when you get the privilege of talking to people, when you actually talk about families, actually what you are prepared to say, but also what you're prepared not to say. As Peter alluded to, in the last decade, there's been, particularly in the last decade or so, there's been a great upsurge in interest in genealogy and looking through our history, looking at where we've come from, our personal histories, and the histories of some of our families. So often encapsulated in this program, Who Do You Think You Are?, which is a BBC program, uh, that looks and takes the journey of one person and goes and looks at some of their ancestors. Anybody this morning, anybody seen it? Anybody seen a few of those or anything like that? A few, few people interested, few people part interested, people not so sure. Anyway, it, it's actually more interesting than you might otherwise imagine this morning. Uh, I'm not someone who loves lots of social history especially, but I've enjoyed watching a few of them. <clears throat> and what's really interesting is always is when someone does it and what they're looking for often is to be able to identify with someone in their past that helps make sense of who they are. That desire by looking backwards to make a little bit of sense of who you are, whether that's for good or for bad. A few memorable um, incidents for me of programs I've seen, I've seen a couple there quite a while ago now, was one um, seeing the program of the rower, Matthew Pinsent, who is an Olympic rower, won uh, gold medals in the Olympics, for, um, I think at least four times, four-time gold medal winner. What I knew about him before was that his dad was a bishop, and he's a great rower, and that he went to Eton. So I assumed he must have been from some sort of privilege in his background from knowing that and that. But actually what we found, one of his, through his ancestors, he discovered he had ancestors that basically led through, I don't know how many it was, but ridiculous number of kings of England. And he was at one of these places that do all the genealogy, sorry, I haven't got my detail in front of me, looking at the manuscripts, that looked through going from King of England, King of England, King of England, all the way back. And he just stood dumbstruck and awestruck, but also shocked. He was, when you find you're from a royal line, there's something slightly different. Now, not everybody would be proud of that maybe this morning, but actually for him, he was amazed and uh, was shocked by it at the same time. 
The other thing was um, also watching to see how things have changed. Uh, some of you may well, may well know what uh, the interviewer, Jeremy Paxman, who did a, who's kind of renowned as a ferocious interviewer on BBC of politicians who he thinks are kind of leading people astray, and he's, he comes across as a very hard, tough interviewer. But as he went back, I can't remember whether it's one generation back or maybe two, to the poverty that just maybe a generation back that either his mother or grandmother or something like that endured, sort of 10 of them living in a tiny flat in some of the poorest conditions you could ever imagine and seeing how emotional he was at realising where some of his family, what they'd been through, actually helped him understand and appreciate a little bit more what he did have. What's interesting about it is sometimes we find certain stories more compelling than others, but what's interesting for us is, is how fascinating or what we tell in our stories, how much of our own histories we're prepared to tell in our own story. One of the things that, uh, before coming here, there's, there's some stuff on the website, is that it's really good exercise, actually, to write your story, even if it's a story of how you, where you are with God or your faith story. Because what do you include? What do you exclude from your story? What do you love and what are you quietly ashamed of and would never speak uh, in a community? A few years ago, um, Joe and I and the kids were part of, had the privilege of being part of a particular church uh, that was actually in um, English church. It's quite, it's quite well known as one of the most influential churches in the UK and we had a couple of years uh, there as part of our kind of uh, life. One of the things that I found fascinating is we went to an evening chatting to the church leaders, and I've been in many different churches, but what I was fascinated, and the church leaders told the story of their church. And what they didn't do was sit there and do like a highlights reel of their church. What they didn't do is feel like they needed to sell their church. But what they did was simply tell a story, warts and all, of the what has shaped and formed the church life. And I'd never heard someone speak so honestly, but also with such faith about, and such honesty about their church. I didn't airbrush things, kept things simple. There was a humility about what they said because they recognized that what they'd um, gone through and all that they'd seen was because of the hand of God. The hand of God was upon them. And they were glorifying God and they didn't mince through the, the, um, just through the struggles or, or put to one side the struggles that they've been through. But they're prepared to tell their story even in weakness and failure. And I've never forgotten that. We're spending the year in the book of Luke and we're looking at the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ this morning is the person who unites every one of us who has sat here. You may not be able to say this morning that you feel that you would say that you are a personal disciple of Jesus Christ. You may say, I don't quite know what I believe about Jesus. But the fact that you're here means that Jesus is the person that unites us. If you're sat here with questions, it's why people for over a thousand years have been gathering in this place because of Jesus. So who is Jesus? What's he like? How is he relevant to us in 2019? Surely 
Jesus is always about something that happened 2,000 years ago. Is Jesus actually good news? Or put it differently, is Jesus still good news? And if so, how? How is Jesus good news? And how is that relevant to you and I this morning? So far, we've looked at the birth of Jesus. We looked at Jesus in the temple. And last week, Yen preached on the baptism of Jesus. And here we look, as I'll call it, at Jesus' credentials. What we see is a genealogy of Jesus. This first bit that you'll find at the beginning of the passage that we had read in verse 23 is actually a verse that's been really important to me over my Christian life. It's, it's a really simple verse, only appears in Luke's Gospel. It says this, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Jesus was 30 years old when he began his ministry. Why has this verse been significant for me? Because have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't actually begin his public ministry till 30? I mean, have you ever thought about that for a second? Have you ever wondered why the Son of God didn't just get on with it. You know, the power of God, the relationship with God was all his, yet he waited till he was 30. If you're a certain type of person this morning, if you're a certain type of personality, you might be sat there saying, come on, Jesus, why didn't you just get on with it? I don't know, when you're 14, when you're 18, just imagine the extra number of miracles Jesus could have done. Just imagine the number of extra number of people Jesus could have healed. Just imagine the extraordinary things he could have. Why didn't he start earlier, some of you might say. Jesus waited for the right time in his ministry. Jesus waited for his father's time in his public ministry. In fact, Mark begins his gospel in Mark 1, 14 and 15, saying the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. It talks about the time is now. And in the Bible, there are two ways of talking about time, one of which is chronos, which is that kind of earthly sense of counting time, but the other is kairos, that moment, that moment which is particularly a moment of God's timing, the kairos moment of this is the moment that Jesus needed to grasp, take hold of, that God had ordained for him in his ministry. And this is what we see here. Jesus is 30. He'd been faithfully... Honouring God through his time in a Kronos-type way for 15, 16 years, serving as a carpenter. Now the time had come. Jesus, what we see in here and what we're reminded here is this. Jesus wasn't lagging behind. Jesus wasn't running ahead. He was staying close to his Father, in one with his Father, in time with his Father. He wasn't consumed by his past and all that's gone before. He wasn't constantly looking to the future. He was sat there knowing that this moment had come for his father to do his father's work. He was ready, willing, and open. And through his baptism, and then we also see that as will, the story of Jesus will unfold through the rest of Luke's gospel. See, I remember the first time I felt directly had had a sense of God calling me to full-time ministry. I was about 20 years old. I was at York University. And I had a real sense in one uh, evening gathering that we'd been at that God was calling me to some kind of full-time ministry. I was young. I was idealistic. I had lots of energy, lots of things to do. And I was ready to go. 
And I chatted to various friends of mine and to leaders and different church leaders who prayed with me, who listened to me, and they sort of said, yeah, Tim, I think that's right, but it's not now. But it's not now. And actually, we all agreed that it wasn't now, that actually it was about waiting for that time, that that call might be real, but actually the waiting for the right time wasn't now. So I headed off to spend time in the NHS doing various different roles there, knowing that I'd been called to that for a season, but always knowing that there was also another call on my life. That while the call I was in there was still a call of God to work and serve in the NHS, there was also a different call as well on my life too. And this one verse gave me particular strength and perspective when actually I couldn't understand why I wasn't doing it now. Why couldn't I just do what God wanted me to do now? Why did I need to wait for God's plans and God's purposes? I used to think this, the Son of God waited. He waited till he was 30. And if Jesus waited for his Father's timing and anointing, why was I rushing? What was I in a hurry for? What was I trying to achieve? What was I trying to prove? without God. Because actually, if the glory is to go to God, then you need to wait for my time. Because it's about my glory, Jesus would remind me. There is no concept in the Bible of my ministry, my call, because it is about the Father's glory, the Father's power empowerment as well, and the Father's anointing on our lives. I know from chatting to a number of you with where we are as a church in a minute, you are passionate about making a difference. We're passionate about seeing this church flourish and to see this church grow. Finding our niche, finding what part we can play, building some good relationships, that those friendships that enable us to belong as part of a community. But also I know this, is that unless we get a sense of God of what God is saying to us, of that conviction amongst all those things that we'll be running on empty. Unless we're waiting for God's time, his Kairos time, then actually it'll just be a case of honouring ourselves. And that's what we want to do. We want to faithfully do the things and do run the things that we need to do. But we also need to seek God to say, what is it specifically you are saying to us? Time, remember, is a gift given to us by God. Often for us, some of us, it can seem more like a curse. And I know this, this sort of quip dates me slightly, but some of our attitude to time is a little bit like this quote from uh, the late comedian Dave Allen who said this. He said, we spend our lives on the run. We get up by the clock. We eat by the clock. We sleep by the clock. We get up again. We go to work. We work again. And then we retire. And what do they give us? A clock. And some of this morning will be like Jesus. You're 30, you're ready to go. It's time to act. God is calling you into doing some things. It might be things that you personally feel called to. It might be stuff to do within the church. And it's time to move. It's time to work to a step forward in what God is calling you to. But for others of you, it might be said, do you know what? Actually, just at a time of waiting. I'm in my 20s, I'm not quite ready. I'm not quite sure. How do I fit into it? But actually, we all need to be able to be in a place where we learn to listen to the voice of God. That's one of the reasons why we've moved with the whole thing with the Gateway Sense, that sense that it's God's timing, 
on what we're going to do. What we also have here in uh, verses 23 to 38 is this uh, amazing list of characters, some of which you may have recognized, some of which you may never have heard of at all. And some of you will know that in Jewish tradition, um, your ancestry was incredibly important, and people liked to keep records of their family trees and where they were from. So if you go into the Old Testament, say, for example, you look in Genesis 4 and 5 or Genesis 10, or 1 Chronicles 1 to 9, chapters 1 and 9, 1 to 9, you see how important tracing one's genealogy, one's family tree is to Jewish thinking. The Greeks also loved to trace their roots. The first readers who read this would have understood what Luke was trying to get at. They would have made sense to them about why Luke had laid this out. And what's distinctive about what, how Luke lays it out is this, is Luke places the genealogy between Jesus' baptism that we talked about last week and the temptations that Jesus faced that we're going to talk about next week. And what Luke is doing by placing it between these two events is this. He's answering the question this. Is Jesus really qualified to be the Son of God? Is Jesus really qualified to be the promised Son of God? What we see here is some of those names that you will notice is that Luke is showing us Jesus' connection, for example, to David, to Abraham, and to Adam kind of three massive names in the Old Testament. And each of these connections that we see in this, through the Old Testament help understand a little bit more about who Jesus is and what he came to do and how he came to serve and to fulfill the Old Testament promises that he came from his father's ministry for. Those three people, David, Abraham and Adam, for example, so, for example, the connection to David established Jesus as the royal heir. It connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. Jesus can be seen as the king of Israel, the son of God who comes from the royal line, the right line, as the promised one, the son of David. The connection to Abraham shows Jesus as the heir to the national promise and the hope and the covenantal promises to bless the nations. And Luke goes all the way back to Adam. He goes all the way back to Adam. And the connection to Adam reminds us again and again and again that Luke shows that Jesus represents all of humanity, all humanity. So Jesus, what Luke is showing us is that God has carefully designed things, that Jesus can both realize the Old Testament promises and hopes, but also usher in the new creation, the kingdom of God. Luke is showing us by this connection to Adam as well that Jesus' story is humanity's story. What we see here is Luke is showing us that Jesus is the rightful person to serve God as a mediator between God and humankind. He's saying he is, that's who Jesus is. He's the promised king of Israel. He's also head of the human race. And God's promises to Israel that we see in the Old Testament become our promise for us personally in Christ. We've been grafted in alongside the Jews who believe in Jesus. And anyone who trusts in God, 
becomes a child of God, a child of Abraham, and shares in that line of the promises of Abraham too. And for each of us this morning, that that's if we recognize that's who Jesus is, that we become heirs of God and heirs of Christ through Jesus, of the same promises that are made through the Old Testament. We're from the same heritage because of Jesus, because of who he is and because of what he did. And whatever our, one of the things it reminds us too is this, whatever our background, whether we're really proud of our background or ashamed of our background, what Jesus shows us, he represents all of us to give us a fresh start with him, irrespective of where we come from, to live a life uniquely made for him. And lastly, what we see is this, is that the genealogies also show us that no person is an island. We are connected to people continually. We reflect a heritage, we reflect an upbringing, and everybody reflects a family. And Jesus is no exception. I wonder how many of you recognize, if you look at that genealogy, how many of those names would you say you recognize? You know, there are famous ones, David, Abraham, and Adam, for example, Zerubbabel that used to make us laugh in our family when we were growing up. Jesse, Boaz, Judah, Jacob, Isaac, Shem, Noah, and Enoch. This list includes some of the really famous people in Scripture, but also includes people you've never heard of and only appear here. And the point is this, is that Jesus represents every one of us. Jesus represents them all, much as he does to us. In this list is a variety of humankind, Some people are well-known, some people are anonymous, virtually. Some people are barely known, some people are successful, some people are incredibly unsuccessful in their lives. And for us as a church, this truth mirrors that. There are some people like me who put a collar on and get to function in a certain type of way in a church. But others you will be barely known to others, but quietly go back about your life with Christian, your Christian life and your Christian work with faithfulness. And what we know is God honors faithfulness. He honors us all in our walk with God, no matter how much public attention or public acclaim we receive. And one of the great examples of that is sometimes we can get carried away with what's important and what's not important. One of the things, the great power of telling our stories is that what we realize is the people, if you were sat here this morning and you thought back, who are the people who really influenced you in your Christian life? My guess is they wouldn't be the famous Christians. They'd be parents, grandparents, friend from school, someone else that you knew. Finally, Jesus' roots go back, as we've said, to Adam. And what we did, by going all the way back to Adam, Luke is showing us about our connection to one another. In a day when, as you, I don't know if you're an avid looker at the news, if you're a reader of the news, but it's very easy to really see the diversity and the, the hatred that goes on around the world, whether it's ethnically or in different parts of the world or in religion or even to do with Brexit and how toxic at times that can make our culture feel. We do well to reflect that in our diversity, in our diversity of opinions, our diversity of backgrounds, 
our diversity of education, that we are still one human race, that humanity is also one. It's very easy to let what, what nationality we are, what upbringing we had, what school we went to, what school we didn't go to, what achievements we've had, what social status we've had, and say that's the defining factor. And it blinds us to the fundamental truth that as human beings, we all share one planet. We share, we're, we're in relationship to one another by a God who created us and made us in his image. No one is an island to themselves, to themselves. And transcending that, we, what we see here is Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And he offers each of us an opportunity to respond, to enter into the richness of God's blessing, of God's promises in the person of Jesus. All the Old Testament promises fulfilled in Jesus. Blessing, to be blessed by God, to be in relationship to God, to be known by God, to be a child of God, to be loved by a father. And the invitation is for us to enter into that same story that's been going for thousands of years. The invitation is for all. It's not for a special group of people who have the right credentials to be a Christian. It's for those who want to respond to the invitation of Jesus to him. Jesus came into this world to reconcile us to God and reconcile us to each other. And Jesus is uniquely qualified to do that. And Luke demonstrates that through this genealogy. God's plan of salvation is not limited to one tribe, one nation, one people, one group of super gifted people, one region of the world. But Jesus came for every single one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we look over this year at the person of Jesus, I pray that you'd help us see you more clearly and you'd help us see ourselves more clearly. And in both those things, you'd help us to live more fruitfully in your world. Father, thank you that you came for us, that you gave your life for us in Jesus. That whatever our background, whatever failures we've had in the past, whatever things we've done, said, that we're personally ashamed of, we know that your invitation is to all to come. With hands open to receive the life that only you can bring. Father, I pray you'd help each one of us this morning to recognize by your spirit your work in our lives, to know what season we're in, to know what time we're in, to help us to know as we respond to you that we're not alone. And would you help us to, to flourish and grow together as your church, your bride, in Jesus' name. Amen.